Right, well, Philippians chapter 1. Um, you know, when we, uh, when we were looking at this as a leadership team, we were thinking, yeah, Philippians is a really great book. It would be really good for us to, to look at that at the beginning of a new year. And we worked out how many uh, Sundays there were between now and the beginning of Lent, taking out the first Sunday of January and the Community Sunday in, in February, and there were four. And there are four chapters. So we thought, that fits in very nicely. <laughs> so here we go. And it's a really great book. And, you know, I think it would be really great if we could talk to St. Paul and just ask him, why did he write this book? And what was he doing? Where was he? Why did he write it? How did he... Whoops! Excuse me. Excuse me. Hello? It's it's St. Paul? Oh! I'm not supposed to call you saint. Oh, right. Just Paul. Wow, we were just talking about you. Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, there he is. Right. Now, can we ask you some questions since we've got you on the line? Because we were just saying that we would like to ask you where you were and what you, why you wrote this book and how you knew the Philippians. So can I just, can I just ask you, where were you when you wrote this book? You were in prison, okay, you were in chains, you were thinking that you were near the end and death was coming, gosh. You have been through so much, Paul, you know. I know we read about how you were in prison many times and you were uh, flogged and beaten and, yeah, shipwrecked. It was, it, it's, a, it's a pleasure, is it? it? Not a pleasure, but it's... Um, it's okay to, to do it for the love of Christ and to suffer for Christ, yes. So you were, you were in prison on your own? No. Who, who was there with you? Were you, okay, you had some people, you were allowed to have some people with you. So who was there? Timothy, we know about Timothy. Yeah, we know about Timothy because he was like your son in the Lord, wasn't he? You were discipling him. So he was with you there taking care of your needs. Other people as well? Oh, somebody called Epaphroditus. Who was he? Okay. So he was somebody who came from Philippi, and he, they had sent him to you to take care of your needs. Wow, that was really good of them. They must have had, had a real burden for you, those Philippians, as you had a burden for them. Okay, so you were in prison. So, but why did you write to them? because they're very dear to you. Okay, right. And you wanted to encourage them to press on and to rejoice and to live lives worthy of the gospel. Mm, mm. And to warn them, what to warn them about what? False teachers, they had some false teachers who were trying to drag them away. And also they were yeah, into legalism and false doctrine. Right, different to what you had taught them and they were sort of causing a lot of problem and opposition. So you wanted to really encourage them and tell them to rejoice. Do you know, I have looked at this book in Philippines. I, oh, I know it's not a book, it's a letter. But we, it's a book now, actually, but 
I know it was just a letter without chapters in it when you wrote it, yes. I counted up how many times you talked about rejoicing and joy, and it was ten times in that short letter. It's very important, yes, very important to rejoice even in difficulties. Thank you. Can I ask you another question? How did you know the Philippians anyway? Okay, you were on your second missionary journey, and you were with Silas, yes, uh huh, and you wanted to go to a place called Bithynia. Where's that? Oh, that's in what we call now Turkey, I think, Bithynia, yes, yes. Why didn't you go to Bithynia? God stopped you. Okay, it's amazing. He, he does, he prevents us doing things we're not supposed to do sometimes. He didn't want you to go there, even though you wanted to. So then what happened? What? You had a vision, a vision of a man from Macedonia who said, come and help us. Well, Macedonia is, in, is north of Greece. Yeah, then it was, it was part of northern Greece, was it? Yeah. So you knew that God was leading you to Macedonia. So then you, so you went over there and you came to Philippi. Hey, Paul, I've been to Philippi. Did you know that? I've been there. Yeah, I've got a cousin who lives in um, Thessaloniki. I think it was called Thessalonica in your day. But, yeah, and I was visiting her, and she took me to Philippi. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was in ruins, really. <laughs> I know it was 2,000 years ago that you were there, but, yeah, it was in I saw... <laughs> I saw some pillars of the Roman Forum. Um, yeah, they were still standing. Yes. So it was a Roman colony and a very important town. So it was a good place for you to go because there was a, it was a trade route. So there were lots of people passing through. Right. So what happened when you were there? Okay, you met some people. You wanted to go and and find some people who believed, who were worshipping God, probably Jews, were they? Yeah, Jews. So you went down to the river, and you found some women who had met there to pray. Yeah, I remember when I was at Philippi, I actually walked along that path and went down to the river. I think, yeah, and I put my feet in the river. I dangled my feet in that river. I was remembering, actually, that you were there <laughs> when I was there. Yeah. And uh, so there were these women, and you prayed with them, and then many of them came to trust you. <coughs> a lady called Lydia, okay? So she was a businesswoman, and she trusted you, trusted God, trusted Christ, and she became a believer, and all her family, and they were baptized. My. And then she asked you to stay with her, you and, and Silas, okay? So was that the first believer? That was the first believer in Philippi. So then you went back to the city. What else happened? Okay, you stayed there a few days, right? And there was this girl, uh-huh. She was a fortune teller, okay? And she was, she was owned by, she was a slave girl. Gosh, she was a slave. They had slaves in those days, yes. And she was telling fortunes and getting lots of money for her owners. What was she saying? She kept shouting out, calling out to you and Silas, saying what? 
that you were servants of the Most High God and were telling people the way to be saved. Well, you were, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. But it was, a, it was an evil spirit within her because evil spirits know who God is and who Jesus is. And it was, it, she wasn't honoring God. So what did you do? Well, after some, after some days, you, you decided to cast out the spirit. And then what happened? She sort of, the spirit came out of her and she fell down, limp, and she wasn't fortune telling anymore. So weren't her owners a bit mad at you? <laughs> I bet they were. So then they dragged you to the magistrates, they, they beat you, they flogged you, and they put you in prison. When I was at Philippi, I, went, I climbed up a hill and I saw what they said was the prison there. But it just looked like a cave and it was sort of all the rubble was fallen in. Oh, I know, I have to remember that it was 2,000 years ago. So, yeah, it was a sort of cave, but it had a, a, a gate, a locked gate, and a jailer, and you were put in stocks. That must have been very painful. Yeah, and so then what happened? You just were in prison? You were singing, singing at midnight. Wow. <laughs> but you were in prison and you'd been flogged. Why were you singing? You were singing hymns. You counted it worthy to suffer for Christ, for the name of Christ, yeah. And it's always good to rejoice in hard circumstances. Yeah, that's such an example to us. Gosh. And then what happened? There was an earthquake. Yeah. And so all your chains fell off and the door opened. So did you escape? You didn't. <laughs> well, the jailer thought that you had escaped, so he was going to kill himself. But then you shouted out and stopped him, and you said you were all there. I bet he was amazed, wasn't he? Really amazed, yeah. So he was trembling. And what did he say to you? He'd heard you singing, and he, then he said, what must he do to be saved? So what did you say to him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And was he? He believed, and his household and you baptized them. And then he took you to, your, to his house and bound up your wounds, gave you something to eat. My. So was that the beginning of the Philippian church? It was. Those two people were the beginning of the... Because it was quite an established church, wasn't it, by the time you wrote to them? Because you say here that they had overseers and deacons. Like, lead, um, like a leadership team. So they must have had a, more believers by that time. Yeah. I think we better go. This has gone on long enough. <laughs> but I just wanted to ask you one more question. If you were writing to us at RBC today, what would you say? What message would you write to us? You are getting a bit faint, yes? Okay. <laughs> Well, I, I'll tell everybody here, okay? You say that we should just read your letters that you wrote to the churches and read the rest of the Bible. That is what you would say to us today, what you said to them then. So it's still relevant for us today. You know, that really ties in with, with what our verse for the year, because our verse for the year is 
Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Yeah, that's true. So we have to read your word, read the word, read the letters. That's exactly what you would say to us today. Okay, we need to go. Thank you very much. It's been good talking to you. Bye. <laughs> now, what happens now, Paul? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm feeling a bit. I think I need to sit down in a minute, but anyway. Um, just let me put a seat. Uh, a chair here in case I need to sit down. Thanks. Uh, yeah, actually, that would be really great. I could have some water. Um, as I was looking through this chap, this first chapter, I thought there's so much in it, and we can't really do it justice. So I just thought I'd pick out three things. When I was um, People have always said that when you're preaching, you should have three points. One, two, three. And if possible, have them beginning with the right letter, with the same letter. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's great. <clears throat> I don't, can't usually do that. But actually, when I was looking at this, three things came to me. Um, and I think it's only in our culture that we think one, two, three, A, B, C in a line, isn't it? Other cultures think in circles and they think back and front like that. And these three things actually do intertwine a lot. I think Paul would have preached around in circles and back to front. Because he was from that. That would be you, would it too? Yes. Okay. So, um, the first thing, now which one do I press? This one? This one. Okay. The first thing that I, I um, saw, with, saw from this was that Paul was prayerful. Yeah. He was very prayerful, and he prayed for other people. And when I looked at this, I saw that how did he begin his prayer? He, he started by giving thanks. And that's a good place to start. He started with gratitude. And when he was praying for them... He prayed, he started by saying, I thank you for them. Sometimes when I'm praying for other people, I think, I go in and say, please help them with this, please bless this and that and whatever they need. Do I thank God for that person and what God is actually doing in that person's life? And he said he was really thankful. In, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you all, I always pray with joy. So he thanked them. And he, what did he thank, the, thank God for? For their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So, and being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Let me put this first one up. He gives thanks so he thanked God for them. He didn't put himself above them. He said, you're equal with me now. Yes, I started the church, but you're equal with me now. We're partners in the gospel together. So he gave thanks for them and that he, they were working together. And he was absolutely sure they had become Christians. He, he, he birthed them. He saw them become Christians. And that was where, the, where it began, with Lydia, with the jailer. And it had become a church 
And he said, God will complete it. You're going through lots of difficulties. You're going through lots of opposition. You're going through false teaching. God will complete it. I think this is his message to us. However we came to know Christ, whether we came suddenly or whether we came gradually, God will carry it on. He will walk with us. <clears throat> so he lets them know that he is praying for them. Um, he, he, he says, this is my prayer, in verse 9. He says, this is my prayer. He tells them what he is praying for them. And I think that's hugely encouraging. When somebody tells me what they're praying for me, I find that very encouraging. <clears throat> and I try and think sometimes, if I'm praying for somebody else, do I tell them what I'm praying for them? Occasionally when I'm, or sometimes when I'm praying for somebody, I think, I haven't talked, I haven't spoken to that person for a long time. And I think, I must send them a text. I have such a good forgettery that I think, if I don't do it now, I'll have to. So I usually say, excuse me, Lord, I think I just have to send that person a text. <laughs> Otherwise, I shall forget. And, um, yeah. So I think it's good to tell people what we're praying. And then the other thing is he's very specific. Sometimes we can just say, oh, please bless so-and-so. But he actually is very specific in what he prays. And... Um, we're going to pray this prayer in a minute, actually. And um, I get lots of prayer letters, I expect you do too, and say, please pray for this, this, and this, and this. I can't keep it all in my head. I try to remember at least one thing or two things for that person, and that's all I can cope with. And I think, well, somebody else is probably praying for the other things, so that's all right. And I just can't remember everything. But I think it's very good to be specific and also to use words of Scripture. There are so many prayers in the Bible, um, right from the very beginning. Lots, all the Psalms, there's Abraham, Moses, Jeremiah, all the way through, we've got prayers that were prayed. If we use scripture, we know that we're praying according to God's will. And he says, this is my prayer. And what I would like us to do now, I'm going to read the prayer. And I wondered if we could... I'm going to read it twice, and if in your hearts, as I'm reading it, you could, the first time, you could pray these words for the person on your right, and then the second time, if you could pray it for the person on your left, okay? So this is praying for the person on your right. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And again for the person on your left. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen.
Right, the next thing. Paul was pastoral. These things actually tie together, you know. Um, I think all these things tie together. If you're prayerful, hopefully you're pastoral for those people. If you're pastoral, hopefully you're praying for them. And I think even the fact that he prayed for them and he wrote to them showed his pastoral care. I thank my God every time I remember you. That's pastoral, isn't it? That's um, loving towards these people. <clears throat> you know, I had a, an email um, just last week or a couple of weeks ago. There's a, a, Baptist, a retired Baptist minister that I know. And um, he's, a, he's a wonderfully prayerful man. And he's very pastoral and he's an amazing Bible teacher and preacher. And I had to write to him about something to ask him. I, I needed to ask him about something about somebody who had died, actually. And he wrote back quite quickly. So number one, I thought, that's pastoral, to reply quickly to your, to your emails. And he started off by saying, being in touch with you always brings a smile to our faces. Smiley face. Now... I think that's the same as saying, I thank my God every time I remember you. Don't you think it's the same thing, really? I don't think he thought about it, but that's the way he started, because I think he's so full of the word of God. And then he, starts, he, he, he commented on the letter, my Christmas letter. He said, it was lovely to have your Christmas greetings and catch up with your news. And then he commented on some of the things that I had said. And he, he, then he said um, about the things that I had shared, he said... I am sure that this is close to God's heart. Isn't that an encouraging thing to say to me, that I think the things that you're doing is close to, are close to God's, heart, God's heart? I would have never thought of that. And um, so I, I think that that's, that is, was a lesson to me. I wrote back to him and I said, you know, I'm just preparing to speak on Philippians chapter 1 about Paul and um, telling him the things that I was preaching about. And I said, this reminds me of you. <laughs> I hope that was encouraging to him as well. So um, then the next thing I see is that he had the love of Christ for them. He longed for them with the affection of Christ. That's what it says in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all since I have you in my heart, etc. He, he longed for them with the affection of Christ. And are all Christians easy to love? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Not always. Not always. <laughs> not all people are easy to love. Not all Christians are easy to love. <clears throat> but you know, sometimes what I do, if I find somebody's finding somebody a bit difficult, I say, could you help me to see them as you see them? And that really helps me, actually, because... I think, then I think that God has this extravagant love for me and he has that same extravagant love for them. And I want to see them with that extravagant love of Christ. And this is how Paul saw the Philippians. And then the next thing is he shared himself with them. And I think this is another important thing about being pastoral as well. We go over to um, verse 19. He says, yes, I'll continue to rejoice, talking about rejoicing again. 
<clears throat> For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Christ Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I'm e I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he goes on to that. So he's saying, I'm in prison. I'm being beaten. I'm in chains. I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. I hope I'll have the courage. And he's not saying, I'm fine, you know, rejoicing in the Lord, jolly dee, and, uh, and I'm doing well. He's saying, pray for me because, yeah, I, I don't want to be ashamed. I want to have the courage to stand firm. So I think this was something good for the Philippians to hear, that they had a part in this. They were partners in the gospel. And then the last thing. Paul was a preacher and a teacher. We know he was a preacher because everywhere he went, he preached the gospel. And he started all these churches all over the, the then known world, actually. And... Um, so, uh, but he was also an amazing Bible teacher. He was, he, he was a teacher and he wanted them not only to be birthed as a church, he wanted them to grow, to, to be discipled. And he wrote copiously. He spent all that time with Timothy, discipling him. He was a wonderful teacher. He was longing that they would be um, fully informed about the word of God so that they would stand firm against the false doctrine and the opposition, and he doesn't pull any punches. He says, you will suffer. You will suffer as a Christian. It has been, at the end of this chapter, it says, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. And we know that even in Ness's prayer today, she was praying for people who didn't have the word of God, people who are, who are suffering. We know that there are so many over the world I'm just reading a book at the moment about the persecution of the church in China. And it is absolutely horrific, horrific what is happening. And, and the fact that they just copy out little bits of scripture to try and share with each other. We are so privileged in this country. Um, I just thought I would share with you just three little stories about just things that people that I know, and they may be not sort of big beatings and sufferings and things like that, but things that are happening, and we all have these things happening in our lives as well. There's a, <clears throat> um, a fellow I know, I've known him since he was at school, and now he's a grandfather, um, has been working in North Africa for a long time, many years now. Um, he's working as a businessman and also discipling people, and uh, a huge burden for these people and he has a business. And one day last year, he was taken by the authorities together with some of his Christian colleagues and they were put in prison. Um, and so this word went round to us you know, to do pray for because he, he and his national colleagues are in, in prison, we want them to be released. So we were praying for them. And then after a little while, he was released um, and he managed to get out of the country. But the national Christians were kept in prison. And I think they're still there. And, you know, we, we pray for them. I, when I remember, when I pray for that country, I pray for them. But I don't actually know what's happening to them. But they're still in prison. We never hear anything about these people, do we, that are still in prison. 
Um, there's another uh, couple I know. Again, I knew this this fellow when he's a was a, a boy, <laughs> and now he's working with his wife. And this came about a month ago. This email came from him from on our prayer thing. Um, it's a very very Islamic area, and um, they've been there a little while with their team, and they've uh, started a, a, a Christian school and a very small church. And this message came. The church school here in our town has received a lot of pressure recently, as there was an announcement circulated to all the mosques in town last Friday with many false accusations against the school. They are also claiming that the church is taking school fees money to build their new church building. They are in the process of building, but this is not where the funds come from. In addition, there is the claim that we who follow Jesus believe in three gods, God the Creator, Jesus, and Mary. As a result, some Muslim families have pulled their children out of school. There has also been some suspicion about our team, and our language helpers have received some flack for helping us learn Arabic. So there is a bit of pressure in town right now, especially against the small little school they've started. Please pray that the school would remain strong in continuing their Christian education classes and that Pastor Barnabas, the pastor of the church, would not lose heart. Pray also for our team that we would not fear but would continue to speak the truth in love and that we would have the wisdom to know when to speak and when to remain silent. And then just one more example. Another couple I know, again known for years, they've been working amongst the uh, um, mainly Islamic tribe in the eastern part for probably, I would think, over 30 years. And I've known them all that time. There is a small church, there's a clinic, and they have a few Christians there. And this came in just last week. They're talking about a colleague of theirs. The strong believer from our area for many years, working with our team in outreach and as a Bible translator, is facing a new series of hard temptations. His job and his wife have been successfully wrenched from him by her family and all, and all their tactics. Now the community spokesman is offering him a huge monthly salary and a new young wife, if he will only turn back from following Christ. Pray for God's strength and joy in the Lord, that may stand firm and continue to grow in his love relationship with Jesus, and that God will provide for him in every way. So these are things that are actually happening now, and it's the same as was happening for the Philippians. So... Um, Yeah. Let me just do quickly these last things. This is what he said to them. This is what he taught them. I'm going to read, actually, this, these verses here. This is his teaching of them. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Live lives worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or hear only about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm. I think that's the next thing. That you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith in the gospel. Be united. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. 
and that, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but to also suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I have. So live worthily. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Sometimes that's tough, isn't it? Remember, they were living in a Roman colony. We're living in a post-Christian era. Am I noted for living a life worthy of the gospel? Stand firm. Be sure of who you are. And don't compromise. Be united. Steadfastness is grounded in unity. And we need each other. So here we have Paul as a prayerful person, Paul as a pastoral person, and Paul as a preacher and a teacher. And all these things came together, really, in his care and his writing of this letter. So I want us to just pray as we finish. Thank you, our Father, that we have your word. We thank you that what Paul wrote nearly 2,000 years ago is so relevant for us today. And we pray that the love of the Lord Jesus will draw us to himself. The power of the Lord Jesus will strengthen us in his service and that the joy of the Lord Jesus will fill our souls. Amen.